Good morning. Well, it's good to see you guys here at 8.30 in the morning. Um, it's crazy, isn't it? Um, I would be one of the guys that would love for that to just stay put, wouldn't you? That would be kind of cool to leave the time alone. Um, well, it's good to be here. I'm sure that some of you are, are wiping the sleep away from your eyes, and some of you are looking forward to that afternoon nap just to catch up on that, that hour or so that you've lost. Um, but how are you doing? really doing. Sometimes when I come to church, I'm just kind of on, you know, or when I go to show up for work or when I know I'm going to be around other people, I just kind of flip this little switch and just turn myself. Um, It's kind of like the lights come on or something. And uh, when I do that, sometimes it's really easy for me to disconnect from what my real life is like. Um, Some of us, I guess, probably hide behind some masks When we get together with other people, we want folks to think differently of us than we actually think of ourselves, Uh, whether we think of ourselves too highly and we think of them too lowly, or whether we think of ourselves as as too low. Some of us put on masks. Some of us don't even have to put on masks. We're too distracted with um, with just life, and it just feels odd to be who we really are um, with other folks. And, um, I want to invite you just for a moment to engage what your week was like, what you're facing right now, um, what your spiritual life is like, where you're at with the Lord. Maybe you're having the best week in, or day of your life, and that's awesome. You need to share that with some people before you leave. Um, they would love to hear it. Um, and maybe you're having one of the worst weeks, and maybe you don't need to share with everybody what you're going through. But, but I do hope that you find at least one person that you can, um, you can connect with, because it is important. We need each other in this. We need to do real life together. Because coming to church isn't a matter of, of um, a whole bunch of people getting together and pretending that we've got it together. We're not here to impress each other, I hope, with our righteousness or our holiness or our niceness. I'm, I pray we're here because there, there's something inside of us that's desperate. There's something inside of us that's broken or disconnected. And I hope this morning you came with some expectation. I don't know. Um, I come with just a, a full mind and a full heart, um, often full of cares and plans and worry and anxiety and hopes and all those things. And so, you know, I guess the number one question is, what are you full of? <laughs> um, what is it that, that you come here and you're topped off kind of with whatever is going on in your life? And um, sometimes we're so full of ourselves or other things is that we're not empty enough to actually receive. So this morning I would ask you to engage there. So let me ask you a couple more questions. Are you enjoying your spiritual life? Are you enjoying Jesus? Did you come here this morning excited because of what he has done uh, for you, of how free you are? Um, Are you longing for something a little bit more than what you've got? Sometimes we come here and we feel uninspired, no matter how inspiring the speaker is or the music is, um, and we feel disconnected. And sometimes we come here pumped up and ready for another week, right? You know, my mantra here lately has been, um, let's just get through the day, <laughs> let's get through the week, or better said, one day at a time or one moment at a time, I need you every hour, kind of like what we just sang. Um, so what is it that you long for? Do you long to be free from something? 
Is there something right now that seems to be tangled around you? Kind of have it has this death grip around you. It's like you're being hugged by something you don't want to be hugged by, and you can't get loose from its grip. I know sometimes I feel that way. In fact, about it most of the time I feel that way if I'm honest with myself. And so let's talk this morning a little bit more about what it means to be free in the gospel. Now today as we continue our study in Galatians, um, we're going to dive right directly into chapter 5. And I'm not going to attempt to give a proper summary or review of what we've already covered thus far. That's what our website is for. Um, You can listen to those things. However, it's important, I think, to start with understanding a little bit of the context. And up until this point in the letter, Paul has been primarily focused um, or focusing his energy toward the Judaizers, the, the ones who want to impose at least some aspect of the Old Testament law on the new Christians. These Christians are coming into faith, and um, the, the folks who have been raised familiar with Judaism or um, familiar with the Old Testament are um, wondering, what is happening to our heritage? What's happening to our tradition? These folks need to understand our heritage and our tradition, and they need to respect it. And so some may have had that attitude. Some may have had an attitude of, you know, if you're going to be identified as belonging to Yahweh, you need some marks identifying you as Yahweh. Some really wanted the the new Christians to take on this whole new idea that Christianity is just a new form or a reformed view of, of Judaism, keeping the law. Um, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, there's Jesus, he died for us, but now you've got to get back to the real thing, which is keeping the law and being obedient. And um, and. The paradigm had not quite shift for some, shifted for some of these Christian, I believe in some cases, Christian Judaizers who had not relinquished um, living under the Old Testament law. Um, some just wanted to keep a little tiny part of the Old Testament law, and that part had to do with identifying themselves with the people of Yahweh. Um, I would imagine that some just said that, hey, circumcision is not a big deal. It's kind of like the symbol that we've had for thousands of years as those who belong to to Yahweh. And I think that that should be something that we continue. Why would we stop that? And Paul is making an argument here because if you let yourself become obedient to even a shade of the law, seeing that as a requirement is seeing that as necessary for your salvation or your right standing with God or feeling good about yourself or your worth or anything, he says, then you have actually left the gospel. And so he's going to unpack that for us a little bit this morning. Um, as you well know from previous sermons, is that Paul is a um, little less than tolerant of such a compromise. And um, he is, well, it's kind of like... Um, when I say that, he's, he's less than um, tolerant. <laughs> it's kind of like me describing uh, a blizzard as, you know, it's a slight shift in the weather. <laughs> you know, it's, Paul is not happy in this. He is really adamant, and he's, and he's adamant in this first letter that he's written. He's adamant because he fears that this whole gospel message runs the risk of getting lost if anything contaminates it, if anything enters into it, that turns it into something that it is not. He does not want to to lose the purity of the message of Christ, because if you do, then you're losing freedom. So he is very passionate. And you know what? He's right. Because don't we, 
tend to interject other things into our walk with the Lord to the point that we can't even enjoy him or each other or our lives because we have added just a little bit. Um, so this morning we're going to talk a little bit more about even the word sanctification, which is just a fancy word that's used in Scripture um, that means um, it is the process by which God is making us like himself. So in other words, he is um, transforming us into who he has declared us to be through justification. When he died for us and forgave us of our sins and, and he credited us with his obedience and his righteousness, then um, the next step is that he puts us in himself. We are in Christ. Um, in Romans, Paul uses the word um, sun eyes. That means we are becoming, taking on the DNA of our dad. We are becoming uh, part of the family, not just adopted, but actually becoming the substance of being connected with him. And because of that, the Holy Spirit is the one who's working and transforming us. So that whole idea of, process, of sanctification now is that process of saying, okay, I get it, I've come to Christ, now what does it look like to be in Christ? And here um, Paul is talking about what it means to, um, to live in a different way. Uh, we've seen sometimes a hymn that from a guy named William Cooper that is one of my favorite writers, and I'm not much for poetry, but I actually love his. And the reason for it is because he's so raw and honest with who he is. And um, he lived way back yonder a couple of three centuries ago, a couple of centuries ago. And um, he, um, I, I never heard about him until I read the book, uh, Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. Um, I never was interested in him. And in the introduction to that book by Bruce McRae, which is the modern translation of that, which I highly recommend that book, by the way, it was first published in 1692, but it has been updated so you can understand it. But nonetheless, <laughs> um, is that in the introduction to that, he talks about William Cooper, and William Cooper refers back to this gospel mystery of sanctification. This is how God changes us. This is what it means to live in Christ now that we belong to him. And in that, um, it had a huge impact in Cooper's life. But here's the hymn that we sometimes sing here. It's called Love Constraining to Obedience. I want you to listen to the words to this very quickly. I'm not going to sing it, so don't worry. Um, to see the law of Christ fulfilled. That's amazing. To hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into a choice. No strength of nature can suffice to serve the Lord aright. And what she has, she misapplies for want of clearer light. How long beneath the law I lay in bondage and distress, I told the precept to obey, but toiled without success. Then to abstain from outward sin was more than I could do. Now if I feel its power within, I feel I hate it too. Then all my servile works were done, a righteousness to raise. Now freely chosen in the Son, I freely choose his way. Something radical is happening in this. This good news of the gospel brings a freedom that sometimes I think we lose. Sometimes I think we take for granted. I know I do. Um, because if you sometimes feel stuck or trapped 
either in a relationship or in a bad situation or in a pattern of living or in a way that you're processing information or in um, some health issues that are pressing in around you, whatever that trap is, we've got some really good news. So without further ado, I will um, dive into the passage here. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, are therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now, we could spend our entire morning just on this one verse, and I'm very tempted to do that. Um, but I'm going to hopefully weave a little bit more of the passage here because we're, I'm supposed to preach for verses 1 through 15. So apparently you're going to have some homework. Uh, you're going to have to catch up for yourselves before next week's sermons happen. Um, And so let me ask a question. What exactly is freedom? Because that's crucial, right? If it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, then we need to understand what freedom is. And what does our culture tell us that freedom is? What do, how do we normally hear that? If somebody gives you the freedom to do something, then what usually comes to mind is that we can do anything we want, right? Anytime we want, any way we want, without the consequences of whatever happens or without fear of retaliation, right? We think that is freedom. But Paul here, I think, is calling freedom something else. Let's look a little deeper because he says when he uses the word freedom, he's, that word is actually means liberty. And you know what liberty means? It means I've been liberated from an oppressor. I've been set free from someone who is pressing in some law or some penalty on me, some standard, some expectation that I have to live for and liberty then is very different in a sense than freedom or our current understanding of freedom um, oftentimes our culture will say that well liberty is like anarchy you know and what is anarchy anarchy is having no law at all of living lawless and and being able to do whatever you want right but see there's a problem because there's no such thing as anarchy is there Because every anarchist I've ever met, including myself, is actually a monotheist. He's actually, and he's the deity, or she is the deity. Is that in anarchy, it's actually a monarchy, and it's just my monarchy versus your monarchy versus his monarchy and her monarchy. In other words, there's no such thing as anarchy. Right? Because we don't do that. We tend to turn it into... um, You can't put your rules on me. You can't have expectations of me. I get to set my own agenda. I am my own king. I am my own God. I get to do as I please, and no one else has the authority to do that. So all an anarchist is is someone who believes that they're the monarch. And um, not necessarily that anyone else should listen to them, but they at least get to be the boss of them. Um, There's this idea inside of us that believes that... um, that freedom sets us free to do as we please because we have to be free to be who we are, right? We have to um, be true to ourselves. That's the law. But this freedom that Paul is talking about here is different. And we unpack it a little bit more and we see that, that Paul has not only focused in on the laws that have been put onto us from the law of God that we, by the way, cannot keep, and I'm pretty sure that most of you have already proven that to yourselves. Um, and if not, talk to your best friend or your wife or your cousin or whoever, and they'll be very happy to point it out to you. Um, 
But the truth is, is we don't live up to God's law, and we cannot. And the, the more we try, the, the more weird we get, um, and, the, and the, mess, the more messed up it has, um, messed other people up. And so um, we live this lifestyle of this almost like a, um, a paradox. On one hand, we're told we're free, and we want to embrace the freedom, the liberty that Christ has given us, but we're not really unsure what it is, but we think we do, and if it's really true, then we're really excited. And on the other hand, we live in this guilt of like, but I need to be doing this, and I need to fulfill that expectation and do this. It's kind of like the um, the movie that, that Patrick referred to last week with Tangled. Uh, there's another scene in that movie where where we meet Rapunzel and she's out of the tower and she's um, and she is expressing her freedom. She's running around and skipping um, in the field and and rolling around in the grass and she's so excited. And then the next very next second, um, she feels the weight of her heaviness. She feels guilty. Um, she is struck by her feeling guilty that she is able to enjoy her freedom. And then she, after that, she immediately runs and laughs and carries on and having the time of her life and only to be face down in the dirt in the next moment, feeling the weight of probably disappointing her captor, the one that she's lived under for so long. And then she's up in the trees and she's climbing and she's shouting and she's singing and she's so excited. She's swinging from the trees and and then... It hits her where she's crushed once again and she's brought down. Sometimes that's the way I feel. Isn't it the way you feel? Is it when we really try to engage that freedom? Well, there's some really good news. Is that our freedom is not intermittent. We don't have to go back to our slave master. Whether our slave master is what we think that God expects from us, which, by the way, God really doesn't expect that from us. He knows us better than that. He's not disappointed with us because that would be like, okay, I didn't see that coming. Colin, you messed that up. Um, Instead, he knows that we can't live up to these laws, and so he's provided a way through Christ. Is that Jesus himself came and uh, God incarnate and came and obeyed the law perfectly on our behalf and then credited it to us as if we had obeyed. Um, And so this freedom that we're called into is a freedom to enjoy that we really are free. We're not just free from the law of God, in a sense. We're also free from the law of me and the law of you and the law of our culture. That's a big deal because I can guarantee you the most brutal slave masters in this room is sitting in your chair when it comes to you. And maybe when it comes to other people as well, I don't know. But, um, but our expectations of ourselves are pretty crazy. And maybe you don't expect much from yourself. Maybe you've disappointed yourself enough is that you don't have those expectations. And so then you live defeated. And it's not because you don't have expectations. It's because you're bummed out that you can't live up to them, right? Um, but we live under these expectations of ourselves where we disappoint ourselves or, or we're scared of disappointing someone else in their expectations of us. And you disappoint anybody this week? Is there someone that you're living under? It's like always their frown. I ran into someone uh, a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine, and um, they hadn't seen me in a while. And they said, wow, you've lost a lot of weight. You look really good. And I said, thank you. 
And they're like, how did you do it? I want to know your secret because this person struggles with, with their weight as well. And, um, and I said, honestly, I think it's stress levels, but, but I don't have a secret for you. Um, and I know what you're looking for because I've struggled with my weight my entire life. I have gone up and down and up and down. Now, some of you guys have never dealt with that, and I'm incredibly jealous. <laughs> I love that, that you don't do that. It makes me feel happy for you, but please don't put your laws on me. <laughs> I can't live up to your expectation to be fit all the time or skinny or what you deem is healthy and vice versa. Is that I don't expect you to, to live up to my expectations either. But here's the deal is that this person was so desirous to be free, to live in a free state of not having to worry about their weight is that they wanted to know my secret so that they could fix that, right? And I'm like, I don't really have a secret because I might be lighter now, but next year I might be twice as heavy. I don't know. It just kind of comes and goes. I keep my fat clothes, um, and I, don't, I usually don't keep my skinny clothes because I don't think I'm ever going to see that again. Um, and so I'm up and down, and, and the response was, but I have a family member that's so hard on me because I keep failing. And I try so hard, but I feel like every time I put anything in my mouth, even if it's healthy, I feel guilty because this person watches me. What a slavery to live under. And I said, so how does that, how do you feel about that? And and they felt heavy. They felt like um, there was a... um, an inability to live up to the other person's expectation. And, but the first problem was is they felt like that person's expectation was legitimate. That's the first problem. Is that we really feel like we have to live up to somebody else's expectation. Guys, we are free. And I can't unpack every second of that, so you're probably going to leave here with some misunderstandings. But we'll, we'll straighten that up next week. Patrick will be able to help you out with that. <laughs> Um, but, but what I said to this person is they're like, how do you handle that? If somebody is always judging you or you feel the eyes of everyone in the room because you can't hide it when you're struggling with your weight. Right. I'm like, I know that's for sure. Um, I, I have clothes that I, that are built to hide my weight. Um, and, um, and I could just see the, see the heaviness. It was sad. And so I looked at him and I said, here's what you need to do. You need to look them square in the eye and say, well, I can't really say that here. (laughs) Um, I didn't ask Patrick if it was okay. (laughs) Um, But basically I said, "Um, so what, what of it? What's it to you? And they're like, you can do that? I'm like, oh, absolutely, you can do that. And it might be the most Christian thing that you can do by demonstrating that I'm not living under your expectations. In fact, I'm not living under God's expectations. I'm not even living up to my own expectations. And Paul even mentions that in Corinthians, where he says, I don't even judge myself. There is a judge, and he will be judging everything. And I'm trusting the righteousness that Christ has given me. And so I don't even bother to judge myself. That's a lot of freedom, isn't it? And you should have seen the weight right there lift off of this person immediately. First off, they were kind of like, okay, you're my pastor and you just said that. (laughs) 
Um, I don't know if anybody's turned me in lately or not. <laughs> but, um, but yes, there is a freedom that we can enjoy in Christ that says, not only do I not have to live up to your expectations, my expectations are God's laws of perfection, is that I cannot, and yet I am still free. And so if we are that free, if Christ came to set us free from our oppressors, whatever those oppressors are, whether it's a person, a group of people, a society, or our own selves, whatever that oppressor is, and Christ has come to set that, set us free from that oppressor, to liberate us, to spring us free from our death camps or our plantations, if you want to use the Old South as an example. We are free because Christ has set us free. Why then do we keep going back to our death camps? Why then do we keep moving back on the plantation when our slave masters say, you know what? I'm, I'll give you, you're free. Um, all I'm going to ask you to do is that you can still live under my care or in my cage or in my level of approval if you just do this. And Paul says, don't do it for a second. He says, stand firm. The terminology there has a presupposition. The presupposition is that no one is going to be happy with your freedom. Not even yourself is that we have an enemy of freedom. And it's called the law, the law of God or the law of man. Doesn't really matter, or woman. Uh, it's, it doesn't matter what the law is, we're going to have it. And so he's saying, stand firm, establish yourself, batten down the hatches because it's going to get rough. You're even going to doubt yourself. You need to plant yourself firmly in the freedom that Christ has set us free. Let me ask you something. How many of you guys are like me and we and I focus so much on getting my life right or self-improvement that I never even think about establishing how free I am? How much energy and time and prayer and praise do we give God? How much time do we actually focus in on this incredible gift of freedom? It's pretty awesome. I'm running out of time and I'm like on page two. So I'm just going <laughs> to... I'm going to let you do some, um, some of the work. i tell you what, in order so that I am biblical here, I'm going to go ahead and read the passage, and then I'm just going to come back, and we're going to, to pull things together with an illustration. Um, so I'm, I'm making it so you have to do your homework. Um, so in chapter, in, in chapter 5, verse 2, it reads, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, one little tiny aspect, not even if you... Ex- you accept the entire law of God. If you just take one little, tiny, reasonable, not too much to ask aspect, Christ will be of no advantage to you. He, in other words, he will not be beautiful to you anymore. You cannot enjoy him. You cannot enjoy the freedom that he's given you if you accept one little tiny aspect of law. And in this sense, the law to be more valuable, the law of being accepted, the law of making yourself more right. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the entire, the whole law. 
There's no such thing as just a little smidgen of it. He goes on and he says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified or counted righteous or seen as righteous or self-improved. How about let's just bring it down to what we tend to interpret it as um, by the law. You who are attempting (laughs) to look better and to be right by self-improvement. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the word of God says. You have fallen away from grace. That's a sad place to be. Falling away from grace. We often even misuse that terminology, don't we? When we, when we mess up, when we sin, when we fall off the wagon or whatever it is, however we want to use the, the terminology there, is that we also throw in there, you've fallen from grace. But fallen from grace means that I am now, I have left the freedom of Christ, and now I am back once again trying to do this myself, trying to please somebody, trying to live under something, feeling the weight of my fear, my guilt, my rules, my expectations of me, my dissatisfaction with who I am, my dissatisfaction of who you are, the dissatisfaction of the culture when we don't live up to the cultural rules of the day. It's heavy. No wonder it's so easy for us to, to go back and forth here. It's because when we are severed from Christ, we have lost the very essence of what our freedom is. Because it's only through him and in him that we actually are free. Verse 5 says, For through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now if I could camp anywhere today, it would be right here. And I'm not, I'm going to try not to real hard. Um, <laughs> the, um, there's several words here in this, in this passage in verse 5. For, though, for through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness through the spirit. It's not me. It's not my feelings. It's not my works. It's not my goals. It's not my strategies. It's not my plans. It's through the spirit. And it's by faith. Faith in what? Just general faith? No. It is in the faith in the finished work of Jesus that he has already obeyed everything that needs to be obeyed. He's already paid for everything that needs to be paid. He has already accepted us fully, and we don't need any other acceptance. It's pretty good news, right? Therefore, we ourselves eagerly wait. I love that, eagerly wait. There's been several times I've, I've um, been up here, and somehow that those terms keep coming back, eagerly wait. Um, and I love that it comes up, uh, because there is this... There's this eagerness, this expectation of something that is coming. Um, it's kind of like me waiting for that blizzard to happen tonight. I'm so excited. So pray for snow. I love snow. I know you hate me, but nonetheless, is it, you got to take that to the Lord. Um, <laughs> um, nonetheless, as I get so excited when I see a weather forecast and it looks like there's going to be more than a dusting. Um, it's really about the only time I ever get excited about the weather. Um, really excited because it's just something unusual. Maybe that's why I'm so excited about it. But nonetheless, is that there is this eagerly, this eager expectation for the hope of righteousness. You know what hope of righteousness means? It means I don't actually feel very righteous right now. I'm not really ex- experiencing it a whole lot right now. But you know what? It's coming. On the other side of the grave, Something radically different is going to be going on inside of me. Something that I can't hardly even understand right now. Can you even imagine yourself completely sinless? Let me ask you that in a different way. Can you even imagine yourself completely selfless? 
where it's all about Jesus, where we are free to actually enjoy Jesus because we're not concerned about ourselves anymore. We're not concerned about our reputations. We're not concerned about how good we are or how bad we are. We're not concerned about any of it because why? Because our righteousness has already been credited to us here. But guys, we're going to be free. We're going to be on the other side of this, and that's really powerful. So we have this hope of righteousness, and this, this hope is a beautiful thing. It's where the law becomes more beautiful because we want to be righteous. If you are a believer, then you are learning to love the law of God. You're learning to love the beauty of God. And let me tell you something. If you want to see his beauty, you're going to have to look at the law. But you're going to have to look at it with different, with different glasses. It can't be the glasses of this is what I need to be or this is what, I, what God expects me to be. It has to be through the glasses of this is who God is and he loves me so much that he's given me a picture of himself through the perfect law. That one day, because of his Holy Spirit working inside of me, one day I can be just like him and so can you. Because he's already transforming us. Some years ago, I'm going to have to skip some of these scriptures. The, uh, I'm sorry. But, because I want to get to this story. It's really cool. <laughs> um, some years ago, I was, I was the pastor of student ministries here at Grace, which included both the, the seventh grade, well, the seventh grade all the way up through college. And um, that's been a long time ago. Um, and it was back at the turn of the last century, actually. Um, and um, as, as a student pastor, I got to take the kids on mission trips, um, local and foreign. And there's a couple of folks here that went on a couple of those. And I have stories about you, Abel Odom, um, <laughs> um, as well as some of the others that are here. Um, I won't tell those. Um, but nonetheless, is that one of the things that we did my last mission trip, we kind of flared out on it because um, we did two simultaneous mission trips on two different continents at the same time. We divided ourselves into two teams. One team went to Honduras, and the other team went to Amsterdam. And Nathan McCullen and Steve Luce led the one to Honduras, and Gary Helms and myself led the one to Amsterdam. Um, and we went to, I'll save Honduras for another time. I'm going to focus on Amsterdam because I was there. Um, we went there to help a new PCA church plant um, get established, and and so we took a team of, of, of students who were gifted musicians and vocalists and artists and actors. And our goal there was to do something that would draw a crowd around so that the pastor and leaders of that church could then have conversations with those who would come around so that they can establish relationships and and share the gospel with people. When we got to Amsterdam, we found that it's actually darker than we thought it was. It's a very dark, tough city. Amanda McLam says all of Europe is like this. Um, we didn't know. But if you know anything about Amsterdam, then you know there's red light districts, and I have to be crazy to be a youth pastor and take a bunch of teenagers there, right? Um, but um, we didn't go in the red light district for the for the record. Um, but we, but the, there's this huge place called the Dom, and it's a giant meeting place, gathering place, and, I mean, it's, it's really huge. And so people are always out there. There's performers out there. There's people sitting around eating their lunch, and there's people walking through, and it's kind of like the crossroads of Amsterdam. And there's churches around, but they're abandoned churches. There's no churches there. Um, they are office buildings and 
museums and things like that. But but we're there, and and our team is out there singing their hearts out and doing um, little sketches. And people would draw, would come around and see us, but then they would heckle us, um, spit, um, treat us very badly. It was a very dark place. And so one of the evenings after we got done being in the Dom all afternoon, uh, it was so discouraging. We, we got together and everybody was downhearted and beat up because they felt the weight of failure and darkness. And it was so intense. In fact, one of our adult leaders confided in the entire group, that she didn't want to go back out again because she didn't like the people in Amsterdam. And she's like, and I don't want to tell them the gospel because they might believe it and be transformed. And I don't want brothers and sisters from Amsterdam. <laughs> um, she, was, she just had it with, with how dark it was. It was, it was horrible, and it was pretty, uh, pretty discouraging. Um, and on top of that, I wasn't feeling very well physically, but we still went out faithfully the next day. But something different happened that day. While we were in the middle of doing our thing, there was this huge disturbance on the dom. And it was on the other side of the dom. And we really couldn't see what was happening except that there was a lot of people. And it seemed like a big clunk of people. And, and it was getting louder and louder. And we're thinking, they're getting ready to have a riot. Because it was just, it was crazy. And, and that mass of people kept heading towards where we were. And we didn't think that it had anything to do with us because nobody cared if we were there or not. Um, but as they got closer, we heard some um, chanting going on. And what we could make out was some leader yelling out to the top of his lungs, Give me a J! And then the crowd responding, You got your J, you got your J. Give me an E, you got your E, you got your E. Give me an S, you got your S, you got your S. And he just spelled out the name Jesus. And he's like, what's that spell? And the entire crowd that was with him screamed out, Jesus! Who do we serve? Jesus. Who rescued us? Jesus. And it was this chant. And everybody was in awe because then they started singing and it, they sang like thunder that filled the dom. No one could ignore them. And we were so blown away like, wow, God is alive in this place. The, the gospel is moving forth. And as they began to get closer to us and we began to intermingle a little bit. A few of us intermingled and asked them, so uh, wait, who are you? What are you doing? And, and they are basically a ministry, a church that started very well right down near the red light district. And what they were there to do was to bring the gospel to people who were very broken. The, the, the average person wouldn't have anything to do with, much less the average church person. And um, I spoke to several different ones um, who were former drug addicts and drug pushers and prostitutes both male and female. And they were so excited because they had been set free from the darkness that was engulfing that country and that town. And their enthusiasm for their freedom was contagious. It brought chills to us because here were people who were enjoying their freedom. They weren't out there doing their duty are doing what was expected of them, they were having a worship service. And they had something to declare. A freedom that sometimes we forget that we have. Let me tell you something. Freedom is contagious. That kind of liberty being set free from the bondage of ourselves and our addictions and our addictions to ourselves, whether we see those addictions as being healthy, such as 
maybe eating right all the time and going to the gym all the time or being active all the time or whether it's the other end of that and just enjoying the blessings of Krispy Kreme. Um, there, is, there is something awesome when we don't use our freedom to become slaves again. When we got back to the USA, we flew into the airport and we were so glad to be back in the USA after that. Is it a few of our team instantly, when they hit the ground, they instantly kneeled down and kissed the ground. I didn't do that, but they did. Um, they were so happy to be in the USA. And why is that? As we were flying into New York, we flew over the Statue of Liberty. And that began to make a different impact on me. In fact, when we were there, I... Um, I didn't kiss the ground, but I did. I was as moved as everyone else was. And for the first time, I think, I understood what liberty was. And so I went and bought this way overpriced statue of liberty. <laughs> and you can come look at it, but don't break it. No. <laughs> um, I bought this oversized statue of the Statue of Liberty. And right in the front, it, it, it talks about... Um, being the Statue of Liberty and and what that means. And so we know what that symbol is, right? It talks about the freedom of the U.S., or at least the ideal of what we wanted the freedom to look like in the U.S. At that time, it felt a little more free because this happened, this trip, by the way, we got back from this trip in the June of, of um, 2001. Something radically changed in our country after that. Um, so the Statue of Liberty, we were so excited. And liberty meant something all new to me, all of a sudden. And then I heard a song, or I remembered a song. I don't remember which one it was. I think I remembered it. When I was younger, I was raised in a little Southern Baptist church down in South Carolina, and I'm not sure that they sang it, but at least they listened to the radio, and this song was on there. And, and the title of the song is, The Cross is My Statue of Liberty. And it sings a song about, in New York City stands a lady with her torch raised to the sky. And all who see her, the liberty that she offers, you and I. And then it says, on lonely Golgotha stood a cross. And as they sang about what happened on the cross, it's like, that is where our hearts, that's where my soul was set free. And so the, the premise of the song is that the cross is my statue of liberty. So what can I stand firm in? In the finished work of Christ. Guys, if we add anything to our freedom, anything, we have left the gospel I don't do near as much reading as Patrick does, but I do some reading, and I just use the same quotes over and over again. But So here's one of my quotes. <laughs> um, and, but I've, I've shortened it. Um, many of you know that um, I like Robert Capone. I do not recommend him for the faint of heart. Um, but this is one of the things that he says in one of my favorite quotes from him. He says, grace has to be drunk straight. No water, no ice, and certainly no ginger ale. Neither goodness nor badness. Not the flowers that bloom in the spring of our super spirituality could ever be allowed to enter the case. Why? 
because it's like that leaven that's talked about in our passage today. Is it just a little tiny bit leavens the whole lump and it changes, transforms it chemically. My question is, what have you let into your freedom that makes it so you can't enjoy this? Why are you and I not standing firm in our freedom? Now, when you really begin to grasp this, you're like, no, wait, 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 wait. I've got a lot of questions. And and so uh, one of the questions that, that was asked um, when I talked about this in a much briefer way in the, um, well, maybe it's longer, I don't know, the, <laughs> in, um, in staff meeting was one of the staff members, Greg Lee, asked, so now that I'm free, so now what do I do? So what does gospel freedom look like practically in my life? And thank goodness, Patrick spoke up and says, that's next week. (laughs) And so next week you have something to look forward to. Uh, The next half of Galatians, we will talk about what it looks like. What does it look like to live out of that freedom? Um, Thank you guys for, for hearing this gospel message because it is, I mean, it's the heartbeat of who we are, is it not? And it's so easy to lose. So my prayer is that you enjoy this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for for your incredible message of the gospel. Lord, how we need you. Father, we often think about how, how we sin or how we fail, how we fail ourselves or other people's expectations or your law, and we feel bad. And sometimes we're even, you know, pressured or feeling like we are we have to repent but father we're here to confess to you today that we need to repent of turning our freedom into something that it is not for not enjoying what you have done for us for not standing firm and resisting all temptations to pollute the pure freedom you have given us through your Son. You have liberated us from all of our oppressors, not just one of them, but all of them. All of them. The world, our flesh, and Satan. Thank you, Father, for loving people like us and setting us free, even though we have... It's still a a mystery to us as to how all that plays out. We pray, Father, that you will... Lead us now into worship and attention to you. In Jesus' name, amen.